Welcome to Time Out Coaching with Coach Tony Garbalotto. Uh, today, I would like to welcome one of the most successful coaches in the women's and girls game um, here in the UK. Currently, the head coach of the top women's program in the UK, Seven Oaks Suns, and head coach of the Great Britain Under-20s team. would like to welcome Coach Len Bush. Coach, good to see you. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Good to good to see you. Thanks for having me on. Um, first, as the first normal question that I ask is, um, you know, just give us a brief background of how you got involved in the game of basketball and um, how that did influence you towards, you know, to starting to coach. Boy, you, you know, I saw that question, and it, uh, the normal question is that I played it in high school, but I was thinking back to even as a kid, and there weren't a lot of people playing, but my sister, you know, women's, this is a long time ago, I had a sister who was about 12 years older than me, and she played basketball in high school, you know, old school, uh, almost like netball probably back then, and uh, she had this nice leather basketball it was a, it was beautiful, but I was told it was very, you know, expensive and shouldn't be used outdoors. And when my sister left and went to college, I was prom I don't know, I might've been 10 or something, but I started playing with that basketball, but I would take it outside. And eventually it was like a rubber balloon, <laughs> you know, with no leather left on it at all and had to hide it from my father. So he wouldn't see what I did to it. But, uh, no, it was, we, I, we started pretty late. It was, uh, I can remember, uh, the high school program was a very, very good program. And when I was in junior high, we, we were, we played and we looked, uh, looked up to that program. We would go to games. It was big in the community, big crowds. Uh, and, and, and we're in, we're in America. Uh, what was this? Yeah. We, the South suburbs of Chicago. So it was yeah. part forest, Illinois. And, wow. uh, Steve Fisher was the, head coach uh, who went on to Fab Five um, fame and San Diego State. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I just, that was my introduction to it. So I was introduced to a very, very good basketball program from, you know, first year high school all the way through to the varsity program. Um, yeah. And, uh, but I also played baseball and I played football and uh, didn't, didn't appreciate how good the basketball program was until much later in my life. Cause I went on and tried to play college football, but I found out then that my co high school coaches were terrible <laughs> and I wasn't, and I wasn't prepared for, uh, I wasn't prepared for college football, but I thought I was. And, um, then realized that, you know, basketball was, was what I had been taught correctly. That's a that's a great story as well. I mean, uh, let's let's we'll 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 link that up in a minute when with your coaching. So you go to college, um, and you can give us a very brief, uh, you know, kind of synopsis of that. But then, how did you end up in the UK? And uh, you know, what was uh, the what what suddenly propelled you into into basketball back here in the UK? There's a lot of. Uh, a lot of time from yeah. college to, to there, but I left uh, after college. I started a futon company, made mattresses, cotton mattresses, and uh, it was uh, in the Boston area. Um, you know, it was a good time for it, and I got it got 
it took off pretty quickly and I was had a bunch of my friends working for me and it was, you know, it was quite an exciting time. And I did that for, uh, for seven years and eventually I got somewhere in there. I got married, moved to New York and eventually, uh, sold that and then had to think of something else to do. And, um, I tried for a couple of corporate jobs and, they weren't really interested in, um, somebody it didn't, I didn't feel they were that interested in me. And, um, then I saw something that said that New York city was desperate for teachers. And I thought, you know what, I'll go teach and coach. I'll go coach basketball. So I got a job at a summer camp, uh, out on long Island. Um, and then, uh, I sent letters handwritten or not handwritten, but typed, you know, no, there was no email then. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, sent 110 letters to, you know, every high school in New York City, public high school, and uh, got a few interviews. And one, one school picked me out in Queens and said, yeah, we got some coaching and we'll start you out. And so I got thrown into a classroom in a big New York City, inner city high school with no training <laughs> and uh, and started coaching. You know, I started out coaching uh, junior varsity boys and then did then took over the varsity, you know, the head coach said he was going to leave my JV program did pretty well. Then he started looking like he was going to stay. So I switched to the girls program. <laughs> I coached the girls for a couple of years and then he did leave. And then I took over the boys varsity and I coached that for five years. So I was in the high school for 10 years total. And uh, it's a big 3000 student very diverse high school in Queens. So I got the stories. I mean, I should write a book about the stuff that happened in the high school. Um, you, you, must, you must have coached good players and also coached against some. Yeah, had some very good players. That was the time uh, Lamar Odom was in New York at the time. He was at a Catholic school down the, uh, you know, in at Christ the King in Queens. And yeah. one day he's walking down the hall and my assistant coach goes, that's my cousin, you know? And I go, well, get him here. And he goes, he's not coming here. <laughs> but there were lots of, lots of uh, good players, uh, a couple of whom I'm still in touch with. Um, uh, I mean, Rafer Alston was on, wow. he played against, he only played two or three games in high school, and one of them was against us. Like there were all these court cases to get him sure. eligible to play, and um, you know I can remember his coach at the time saying to me, "He's a pro. He's a pro." I mean, he knew he was a pro, and he was like fourteen. He said he's yeah. going to be a pro. You know? yeah. um, so, but anyway, but that was I learned. You know, a lot of my lessons that I've that have helped me as a coach I learned in New York um you know the experiences I had um one some are some are if I you know trust what you see I can uh I had these two oh go ahead what were you saying no I was gonna say um sorry to to, to interrupt you there but so at this time are you um, is anyone giving you guidance on, you know, how to develop, you know, your philosophy? Wow, okay. Did yeah. you take a lot of that from your experiences with, with coach Fisher? Um, you know, how, yeah. how were you improving as a coach, you know, external to actually being on the floor? So I, I did a lot of, uh, homework all the time. I, I mean, I went to coaching clinics, 
I can remember, you know, getting on a plane and uh, flying to Pittsburgh for the Nike, for Nike clinic. Uh, um, I bought books, uh, DVDs, uh, you know, they were huge then. There were, there were magazines you subscribe to and they would come and they'd have, you know, drills, drills and articles. And so everything was on in print or, or uh, videos, you know, um, and I had, you know, I've just bought stuff all the time, all the time. And the clinics were really valuable. Now, you know, most a lot's online, but um, <clears throat> so I started doing stuff that I had done in high school and then uh, just learned, pick stuff up. I mean, I often look back now because I still have been learning for the past 20 years like and I think back and I go, what the hell was I doing back then? If I, <laughs> if I know so much more now, but, but I look back at practice plans from then and they were, you know, they were good. We were doing good stuff and uh, you know, you, you learn, but. Uh, so was there a, a specific, um, you know, style that you were trying to coach We, you, you know, up core pressure defense or, you know, there was some movement stuff offensively. Was it just all, or just really sound fundamental play? Yeah, that was it. And it was, you know, good defense. Um, you know, the, um, yeah, I, I, I think I'm, I'm, boy, it's, it's, very, very, very simple offensive stuff. That's for sure. I don't remember teaching. I don't remember teaching any, you know, pick and roll defense. I only, I remember teaching pick and roll, you know, offense, Sure. but I don't, uh, I don't remember. Whereas now we probably spend, you know, 35% of our time on pick and roll defense, Absolutely. you know, what yeah. we're going to do, what's how we're going to do it. And, every practice, you know, yeah. it's like we do it. So, but back then I don't think we were doing that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a great point. You know, maybe so, there weren't as many pick and rolls. Run. No, oh, well, uh, you know, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, it's funny you should say that point about the practice plans because uh, I'm studying for my master's uh, in elite sports coaching. And uh, I've just actually gone back to 1998 practice plans um, just to double check and to throw a copy of few to show to uh, <laughs> lectures so that's a that's a really interesting point mm. um so the, you're at the you know really coaching at this you know really high level in 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 high school what's the next stage after that oh i went backwards <laughs> the next the next stage would have been so right before i moved to england so my i was starting to send players you know to various universities. I had good kids and, you know, I was getting contacts. I was meeting college coaches because they were coming to games. They wanted to talk to players. So the next step would have been to go into college coaching. Uh, but the, the issue for me was that I started coaching. I was close to 30 when I started. So I was maybe 28, 29 when I started in New York city and, um, um, and 10 years, you know, seven, eight, nine years later, I'm 37, 38. And my, um, my wife was, uh, an investment banker, you know, working, uh, 65, 70 hours a week. And we had, uh, two young children with a third on the way. So 
when you coach college basketball, when you start in college basketball, Absolutely. you're on the road, man. You're you're recruiting, you're traveling, you're watching games, and you know. So I couldn't turn around and tell my wife, "Oh, by the way, I'm you know I'm going to take this job and start traveling around all over the place." Um, and you know, it was it was too, it was too late for me to do that. I felt. So I was either going to stay a high school coach for 35 years, um, which, which I had no, I don't really like doing anything for 35 years other than be married, make sure my wife hears on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so when the, the school kind of went downhill, um, it got, uh, you know, the administration changed. It had been quite a good school with a good administration and I enjoyed working there, had a lot of support. And then it just, you know, there were some political appointments and it just went down the tubes. Every, a lot of people left. It wasn't fun anymore. Um, and my wife got an opportunity in London. Uh, so, you know, I said, you know, what? Well, well, let's if it looks good. I took a leave from teaching and was going to continue to coach. And then she got the opportunity in London. I said, well, let's go check it out. And so it looked like a good thing. I said, I'll hang out with the kids and play golf for a year or two. Okay. And uh um, and I did that, you know, I was like, uh, I was in heaven. I, you know, I, you know, I got to spend a lot of time with the, with the kids. I had a lot of time. I played golf. I thought I could become a competitive amateur golfer. And, uh, then I could found out after a couple of years of that, I could only get so low. And I said, well, I'm way too young to be doing this all day long, you know, doing just this, that does, doesn't involve any other people. It's, you know, it's, it's not very productive. And uh, so I started a little local club, um, you know, started coaching kids, got my own kids in. Um, then I needed to find some more. My kids were getting pretty good, getting better. I had three daughters. Um, and so I heard, then I started, I found out about the county program. I got the kids, I started coaching in the county county team. And then I heard about this woman out in Tunbridge who was training girls, a Bulgarian lady that was Red Miller Turner. <laughs> and uh, so I drove out there and I put my eldest daughter in it and started hanging around. Then I started helping. Then I started doing the sessions. And then uh, they took those girls and they formed uh, the parents all decided they wanted to form a club. Sure. And that was the beginning of Seven Oaks Sons. There was this talented group of 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds. At the time, and just in this kind of period leading up to that, I mean, um, how, how were you integrating yourself? Like you said, you, you if I'm not mistaken, you got involved, were you involved with the Southeast or were you involved with London girls basketball at some sort of regional level? Uh, Southeast, Southeast, Southeast. Yeah. And I, um, I also was involved with London towers. So I, I took my, when sun started, there was another coach coaching one of the other teams. And I didn't really want my second daughter to play. I want, I didn't really want her to play for that group. (laughs) So sent her to London towers and I coached at uh, Seven Oaks with my eldest. And then I would go. So some nights I would go to Towers and some nights I'd go to Seven Oaks. And um, and then I start, I was coaching for a while. I was coaching at both clubs. Right. OK. And one day, one day at Seven Oaks, I was coaching. 
I was coaching seven Oaks against somebody and then towers came in. I coached towers against <laughs> seven Oaks, and, and somebody, another coach who shall remain nameless saw me and complained to basketball England right. said that, you know, he shouldn't be allowed to do it. And like, I'm going to like throw a game for one club or the other or something. And I go, well, that's crazy. I'm just trying to keep that club going. And then they, so B said, I couldn't do it anymore. So I said, okay, well then I'm going to seven Oaks. And then a couple of players came to seven Oaks and towers folded. Let's. And so they were, you know, and I had done both to try and keep both. them alive. Sure. Yeah. And there was quite a bit of bad feelings there for a while among some people over what happened. And, uh, did you, took a few um, years. Go ahead. I, I wanted just to just ask this question. Um, did you ever, I mean, you know, you're now understanding some of this history, which I never understood from anyone. No one's ever said that to me. I'm sure that there are some senior women's coaches in this country that do, did, do know your story, um, or at least some of the background. You, you know, were you were you getting any um, coaches coming to you to to talk to you, you know to ask for advice, or you know was there was there was there any type <clears throat> of like camaraderie in that in that sense? Very, very rare. I mean, James Veer was at Seven Oaks for a while, right? Um, coaching boys and. Uh, uh, no, that's that's always been a an issue. Very, not a lot of people looking for help and advice. Uh, um, Daniel Gale, um, you know, I met at Towers um, when he was just walking on the side, and he's just saying he wanted to get into coaching. And I brought him over to one of the boys' teams there, and then. Uh, you know, and he's one person I've consistently, you know, had a relationship, you know, I got him into, you know, he took over my little local club in Elmbridge and then I got him into Tassis, you know, coaching there. And then, you know, and he went to Spain and he came back and he, he's, uh, so I've been in touch with him all over the years, but not very many people have come around and asked for any, uh, advice or help. No. Let's just finish up this kind of uh, the, the chapter, actually, just even, if, you know, just as you arrive and stuff. But um, who would you say were the most important influences as a as a coach? You know, would you say, you know, it's Coach Fisher or do you think that there are, there are other people that you should reference in that situation? No, it's, it's Coach Fisher for sure. Yeah. And the biggest one of the biggest things was I would go visit him at uh, San Diego State. And, he'd, oh you know, I'd go down on the practice, you know, I'd watch him practice. And it just filled me with confidence because they weren't doing anything much different from what we do. Right. You know, so and that that and he was such a, you know, I'd walk in and he'd he'd introduce me to the to the players and he'd tell all kinds of lies about me and how good I was. And uh, but he he's I learned from him about always being treat your former players really, really well forever. And he would say things like, you know, he, he, you know, he, he, 
who helped out a young coach many years ago, blah, blah, you know. Like, yeah, 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 sure, yeah. You know, yeah. Was, I've uh, seen it seen it many, many times with American coaches. So, you know, that's something that uh, um, I also try to to do for, you know, for, for yeah. my ex-players and, you know, who are certainly many of them have gone into coaching now. Um, I've always tried to build that relationship. And, you know, I've even seen that with coaches like Coach Jay Wright at Villanova, um, who, you know, Andrew Sullivan, one of my ex-players, was there or right at the start of his tenure. And then I've actually had a couple of his players. And he's a, he's a guy that will always have time for his players and invest, you know, mm. something for, to them. So oh, that's uh, that's a great situation. Um did you when you so now um, at this stage you start you start the Seven Oaks journey? Um, was there something in your mind that said, right, this is you know British basketball, you know girls basketball, you know should I'm going to approach the game in this way, or were you still mm-hmm. just saying um, fundamentals, you know, and this is how we're going to? This, 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 I'm still staying true to what I do here. No, I brought I brought what I learned from the states and what I was successful with there here. And I think the you know uh, we were able to be successful because we were doing things that you know other other people weren't doing. So um I think coaching has improved in the UK. There are a lot more coaches that are good now. Um you know, but it's uh yeah. So I, I felt we were, we were doing, we were doing things better. Like our, you know, practices were better or, you know, what the players were being, were doing was better. And, you know, if, if, and the players that we had got better. So, and if players see that they can get better, then they'll come to your program. So mm. that model is now suffering because of academies. So Absolutely. I, you know, I can, get kids better but you know they can go to now that there are more better coaches and these academy opportunities they can go and spend five days play five days a week kids used to go through you know i have i have kids you know drive 100 miles to come to practice at seven oaks and uh you know that you can that's only sustainable so long and then the family suffers and so they you know, they, I say, you know, you should go to an academy, yeah. you know, like, and so I can't hold on to as many players as long. So, you know, it's changed and it's, yeah. it's, it's okay. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to change too. So, sure. <laughs> so, um, you know, year on year, ha- talk to me a little bit about, um, this culture that you've, you've, you've built. Um, which started with the young, the underage uh, girls, yeah. and now has you know moved into the, to senior basketball, and um, you know it's almost, it's you know for sure at this moment you know the start of a dynasty, not just uh, you know one of the top clubs in in the country. Um, you know, talk about that. Um, you know, what are what are what are the building blocks to building that culture? Well, it was it started with that you know get if you're here you'll get better so we you know we we the youth teams became quite quite good quite competitive um and we had a lot of success with that but it once once you i think it was my middle when renee got to she was maybe 15 16 and i didn't want her to be the best player 
in the club. So we had to, uh, well, actually, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Uh, that first group of kids at Seven Oaks, um, we had some really talented players and Red Miller pushed to start a women's team so that they could play, play up. And um, so that women's team, uh, you know, had some success. We had a couple different people coach it and I stuck with the kids. And then one year we were talking about, uh, you know, they were looking for somebody to coach it and they were actually interviewing. I remember sitting in a room and we're interviewing people to coach. And then I, I go, well, like, you know, this is crazy. And I'll go, I'll coach it. You know, so uh, there were a couple of years there where I coached the, you know, division, the we had division one, we had division two. I coached the women. I coached the under 18s. I coached under 16s. And I was coaching like five games a weekend and running from place to place. And sometimes it was the same players in, you know, sure. all the games. And yeah. um, we've all been there. Yeah. And I brought in, uh, I had a, a rec dang brought her into the club so that it wasn't just kids playing in a women's league one year. And then I brought in Ross Mason because I needed somebody to go against my daughter and practice and make, make her better. And, uh, then, then we got, you know, I added one more and then, you know, um, eventually we, I started to get more women, you know, about eight years ago, I got Kat Carr in, um, and she used to play with the, you know, it was her and a bunch of, and a lot of kids. And then, you know, just it just kind of snowballed from there. You know, we started, you know, brought in a couple more players, uh, a couple more women. One year we had three really talented. The first year we started winning with the WBBL team, we had three really talented juniors and we had five pretty good women. And suddenly they they won. And it was kind of it was kind of fun. <laughs> they won the trophy that year. They upset Nottingham in the playoff final. And then from then on, it was like, you know, this is where we want to be. You know, um, you, you, you consistently, I understand the message here, of, you know, being humble and stuff. But, you know, surely there are some things that you you stress that, you know, are, are different from other clubs because otherwise you wouldn't have this, you know, winning culture and this winning record. Um, what are some of the things that you, you know, are almost non-negotiables for you, you know, as a, as a, as a coach in, in your program? Wow. I don't know how you define uh, good people, but we need the players and the anyone who's going to be on our team. They have to be good, good. They have to be good people. Right. Yeah, sure. So, so they're, um, you know, because it's very hard to win if if people don't, uh, you know, aren't in, together. In, yeah. In, yeah. So I say so relationships are um important quality of people yeah it's it's that's the non the non-negotiable is that you you have to want to get better interesting that's yeah. it yeah that's that's what i'd say it is you know like it doesn't matter what happens today as long as you you're you buy into getting a bit better tomorrow right and um you know, talk a little bit about uh, like what's a typical week, um, especially for the women's team now. Um, you know, and you, you you would be going up against 
some teams that are, you know, got academy programs that, you know, are practicing every day. So, you know, what, mm. what does a typical week look like for, for Seven Oaks, but uh, pre-pandemic, pre-pandemic? Um, a typical week would be, um, let's say we played a game on Saturday. So I review the, I'll review the video from the game, you know, and see what we did well, what we, what we need to fix the following week. Um, so that'll, that'll form the basis of our press. So we wouldn't practice, we would practice on Tuesday. Um, and do you, do you do video review of the, of the game with the team or do you send clips, you know, in this day and age, obviously technology is a lot more easier or is that just something that you're reviewing and then you come and then pre-practice your, you're saying, yeah. look, you know, we didn't deal with these, you know, pin down actions well, yeah. or, you know, we're not moving the ball side to side. Uh, so know. what happens with our, our players is they'll, they'll go to the, they'll go to the gym on their own, you know, during, in the mornings or, but on a, on this Tuesday, whether we watch uh, video or not depends on time and how important it is. So we only have two practices a week, two hours each. And that's what, you know, we got to fit in our normal practice, you know, getting better at all the things that we're trying to do, fix the things from the weekend. And then the Thursday, the second practice would be a uh, preparation for the game coming up. So what, what actions are we going to practice defending? Um, what, what's going to be our, you know, screen defense, you know, how are we going to handle these players? And that's the focus of the Thursday. Every practice has transition defense practice, pick and roll, you know, screen defense, um, and communication on defense. So really defensively minded in in that respect. Yeah. And if we do video, you know, I mean, if I see something, um, uh, you know, I'll pick out like about six or seven clips. We'll sit down on the practice court. I'll bring a monitor in. We'll put it up on the monitor and we'll look at it if I feel we need to. But there always comes a point in the season where I'll say to them, all right, let's, you know, here's, let's pretend we just watched all this. This is what you saw. (laughs) Let's fix it today. You know, we don't have time to do it. And then I'll, I'll also tell them at some point, I'll say, look, we talked about this. We talk about this every week, you know, and it doesn't, me saying it apparently doesn't, make all that much difference so until until you decide to do it because you want to do it and you want to do it for each other you know as a group until you buy into that then it it isn't going to happen you know so um, do you give ownership to uh that you were especially with the women's team are you are you giving ownership to some aspects are you you know talking to the players and asking them you know hey you know, where, what, what do you think we should run, you know, against this team or. Absolutely. And, and the evolution of this WBBL team with the core of veterans that I have, I mean, they, I do less and less, you know, they, they, uh, you know, we can start out doing something and somebody will say, you know, well, why don't we do it this way? And I go, 
okay, <laughs> sounds good. Let's, let's do it that way. Or, and that's happened in, you know, it started in one of the early playoff final wins we had. I remember we're down at halftime against Nottingham, the first playoff final. Right. And we're in the locker room and we're trying to decide how to handle this particular player on the other team who's given us all kinds of trouble. And we said, okay, we finally decided on what we're going to do. And we get back out and I'm, and it just before the half starts, I go to one of the players and I say, why don't, why don't we have, uh, why don't we put Gabby on her? And T says to me, she goes, yeah, we already talked about it. She's, she's doing that. <laughs> so they, they'd already made the decision. And, you know, so, and that's, this team is, uh, that's one of the reasons they've been so consistently successful is that they, they own everything that they do. Right. Do you have any uh, other lessons like that that you think that you've learned along the way, you know, from this, you know, all this journey, you know, from what the high school all the way, you know, high school coaching all the way through to now? Well, one of the one one big one is to trust trust what I see. So not not necessarily what I see while the game is happening, but if I see it in video, then it's it's actually um, happened. So I, I had these two twins, the first boys team varsity team I had, and we weren't very good, but I had these two twins were the best players on the team. And they, I'd watch the video. I'd go home and watch the video. And then I, I'd, I'd see that one, you know, the one twin passed to the other twin, but somebody else was open. And I'd go and he'd go, I coach him. I'm like, why aren't you passing the ball there? He goes, he goes, oh, I didn't see him coach. I didn't see him coach. And it kept going on all year, you know, and they, and then I had this like gangster that, you know, I, I, I found in the halls who they said could play basketball. I befriended him. I got him eligible to play. I got him on the team. I shouldn't really call him a gangster, but he was, you know, he was a tough kid and he, you know, I liked him. And so he's a good player. So he plays with us. And then one day the twins were like, Oh, and 15 and the, one of the twins calls me up at home at night and says, my father says I can't play anymore. And, and that it goes for my brother too. I go, wow. Okay. So I find out that uh, what happened was that something happened in the locker room between this one kid and them. I don't know if he threatened them or what, but they, their father was so scared. They wouldn't let him play anymore. And turns out, we won the next four straight games without them. <laughs> and I realized that what I had seen was actually happening and that we were a better team when they weren't there. Yeah. So, so I don't believe players anymore when they say, I don't see them. <laughs> I didn't see them. You know, it's so, an interesting point. Yeah. You know, it's a, you, you, well, you should have saw them. <laughs> so, um, so if I, if I see it happening then you know, I believe it. Yeah. And, uh, that it's was tough. one. Yeah. Video, video is tough to break, uh, to, to, to get away from now. I mean, there's so much of it and, uh, the ability to take so many clips over a series of games. I mean, just the men alone. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if the women are on synergy at this moment, but you know, they are, they are, yeah, they but are. it's also, yeah. I've changed how I use it. Like I, I used to beat the boys over the head with it. Right. And that's not, I don't find that as, you know, I've sort of gotten away from that. Sure. Uh, I don't know if it would be the same if I was coaching men or not, but it's, uh, 
um, you know, I make the point once and I would tend to do it. I might not do it in front of everybody like I used to. Um, <clears throat> only if we're really, really, really sloppy, yeah. you know, being a bit lazy and, uh, and it's pretty much team wide. Will I sit down and, you know, show, you know, some crazy transition defense, like five clips in a row um, and say like, we're not going to win with this. Do you, do you think that that's uh, um, evolution in your coaching or do you actually think it's because younger people in this day and age have changed and, you know, their, 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 their makeup is less, uh, you know, they just have that, uh, they don't have the ability to, to take that coaching stroke criticism as, as well as what the younger people. I think, uh, I think I've changed. I don't think, I think, I don't think kids have changed that much, to be honest. Interesting. So, um, but I would say it's, it's not like you just learn. It's not necessary. You know, there are things that my, my father did that, you know, might've worked, but I don't think you have to do it. You don't have to do it that way. You can get right. the same result different way. Interesting. Talk about uh, a little bit about um, getting involved into the Great Britain national team program, and uh, now obviously as the as the you know the pinnacle of the under twenties head coach. Talk about that process um, and how you got involved, and what were the steps to get to there. Well, it was you know it's always about moving forward, getting better, and it applies to coaching as well. You need new challenges, so the natural progression from seven Oaks was to the national teams. They, um, uh, I was around when they, um, they were, I can remember there were three of us who were trying to be the under 16 head coach. And, uh, um, uh, Karen Burton became, I think she became the, under 16 head coach and Jim McGinn became the development coach. And I kind of wandered between the two, like helping out. I think I started with Jim and I did some stuff and I then became an assistant with Karen for a few years. Um, and yeah, no, I just, I just hung, hung in there. I, I hung around it. I did whatever I could to be involved. I went to, tournaments in Europe just to watch I um, you know I can remember putting together clips of uh, some of the players that I saw in Europe you know things that they did moves that they made and then bringing those moves those clips back to the development camp to teach the show the kids what they needed to learn how to do sure um, you know there were I wanted to be a head coach uh, interviewed multiple times and got turned down um, countless times. I don't know how many sure. times and uh, was frustrated and uh, um, yeah, you know, thought of just giving up many times. I then uh, and then I had applied for the under 18 job and uh and michael ball was the under 18s coach and he decided to take uh he didn't want to you know at the last minute he wanted i think his wife was was pregnant again or something sure. and he he didn't want to do it and i got uh i got put in as under 18 coach and it turned out that it was this you know it was this phenomenal 
really special group of players, you know, a lot of whom are still playing uh, some of the best players that we've had. They were a year young and we, uh, we ended up uh, finishing second and earning promotion. This was in 2012, I think, you know, that was, you know, phenomenal experience. Uh, Um, and yeah, I mean, that was a journey and a joyful one. And, and, you know, I have a lot of pleasant, a lot of memories from there. Um, and the and next that, year, well, go ahead. And at the time, you know, this around two two twelve period, I mean, was there um, integration with under 20s and with the, the women's team? I guess probably not with the Olympic team. And, you know, that was post Olympics. What, 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 what was, what was, yeah, very little. There was, well, I think there was, I think there was money then. Yeah, <laughs> there, there was, was money. money. There was you money. Know? I don't remember, uh, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have any involvement in the budget spending. I just said what I wanted to do. You know, my uh, team manager probably was privy to all that, but I had, I just, I just said, okay, we want to have this many camps. You know, I mean, I've, I've brought in, in my involvement now, I bring in the schedule that we had then and say, this is, what I want, but sure, yeah. we're going to, uh, I'm sorry, but you're only going to get five days. Yeah, well. <laughs> you know, I mean, we had like 14 games and, you know, traveling and, you know, camps throughout the year. And it was just, but it's not, that doesn't happen anymore. No. And what, um, Warwick and Vladan were, it was that, was Vladan just coming in at that moment? Yeah. 12, 13, I think. Mm. Am I right? Thinking Warwick was still there, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Vladan obviously took over from there. And then what was the, the next process after that? You- um, well, we got to the A, we played in the A division. A division, yeah. Um, we lost, uh, we lost our best player to a long-term injury. Um, we, you know, I had a lot of issues with that time. You know, they took a lot of my players, went and played under 20s. Um, you know, we were in the A division with a good chance of staying up if we were intact and we had good prep. And they, you know, I think four or five of the players played under 20. So they were missing uh, in the lead up to our tournament. And then they kind of just dropped in the week before. And they were tired. You know, I learned some things about players. Then these girls were leaving for a lot of them were leaving for the States at the end of our tournament, literally, you know, one day, you know, after getting back. So they would have done the twenties tournament camp, then our tournament, and then go home and go to, go to the university. And, and I've sent kids to college and I know that that's, uh, that's not easy, you know, it's not how it works. So they were kind of bummed out and, and we performed poorly, you know, we didn't play well. We went right back down to the, uh, B division. division. So it wasn't a very pleasant, uh, time for me, you know, trying to come on, (laughs) you know, know, don't you love it? Aren't you happy to be here? Don't you want to, you know, prepare hard and play? And, you know, it was a quite a struggle, you know, is my memory of it. And, uh, you know, taking it, you know, or a little bit further now with the, with the under twenties, I mean, what, what are the lessons then, you know, in respect to that now? 
I mean, you know, are you, uh, do you feel this uh, integration with these underage teams, 18, you know, 16s, 18s, 20s, and then it filtering into the women's team? I think there's good, there's back, I think back then there was very little linkage between, you know, across teams and among the coaches. And I think the, Although they did do some national team camps, I remember those were okay. But but now I have a sense there's more uh, ties. Like you know, we've had I've had conversations with the under eighteen coach and the under sixteen. You know, we're we're talking to each other. I've talked to Chema about this what the seniors are doing, and there's sure. I think there's potential to move it. You know, it had started to move in a really good direction and this you know not having a tournament last summer is kind of hurt yeah yeah hurt a bit did do you think that that's um exactly the opposite to the men's team but do you think that that's because chem has produced this you know incredible feel-good factor and the fact that the team has got success the women's team you know is profiled it's got success it's uh it's on the edge right there of world class if not it is world class i would say it's world class but you know it's right there in the top of the world do you feel that that's kind of um had a galvanizing effect for the underage women uh, uh girls programs Oh, I, I would, yeah, I'd have to say it does, you know, there's, it's created a, a vision, you know, for the young players and the young coaches, uh, unified it a bit. Absolutely. Um, but I, but it's also the, um, uh, I, I just, I feel like this last round of hiring the, you know, the group, the performance group has made a real effort to, uh, you know, tie the groups together, at least on the girls side. I think it's probably happened on the boys side too, but you know, that there, there are connections, there are links and there are certain things we want to do, you know, in the same way. Mm, that's not the, that's not the same with guys. I can tell you no. that for now because I was the one that had the vision to do that. Um, right. And unfortunately, but it, it probably depends on the coaches yeah. as well. You for know, sure. like I have yeah. a relationship with yeah. Henrik, the under 18s coach, and you know we all, you know, Jen Leadham think that her coming in as under 16 coach is great, right? Great thing, and we support that, and we talk to each other. So, um, you know, there's a bit of a vision to it there, there, there's no there's no question that there there's uh, some I, I feel that there's better relationships now between all of the underage group coaches and there's more talking but um the pure from specifically from the men's side the the vision down i.e you know could we do something that finland did where they took a, a, a an absolute vision of a performance director and coach and pushed it all the way down the age groups and had this basketball style you know so it's mm. a finished style their style was five out penetrate and kick super hard you know pressure defense all over the court um shoot the lights out off the free off the three-point shot and you know for a number of years they really overachieved their their pure talent in, mm. in almost all of the age groups could that happen should it happen i mean should we be like france you know which is has you know not 
not a complete style, but it is defined. It's athletic, it's pressure, it's, uh, you know, fast breaking, um, transition orientated. And, you know, should we be going towards that? And unfortunately, you know, we could go forever on talking about the leadership of our sport, but because we don't have leadership of the sport, but mm. I, I certainly from the men's side, I don't actually see that filtering down at this moment. <clears throat> Well, we did sort of. We there was a major effort to have a style of play back when when Warwick was here. Yep. Um, <clears throat> uh, I think the the women are probably is you know they're they we have conversations about you know being you know scrappy you know hustling you know uh, you know play trying to punch above your weight. Um, I, I don't. I wonder if the men's side is is a bit. Uh, the style would be a bit different. Sure. You know, like they would need a. You know, like both groups should have a style of play. I think absolutely. Is, yeah. And yeah. Um, I have a vision of what the. You know, I think your the men would be more like France than than Finland. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. And the uh, women could, you know, they could go a lot of ways because we've got, you know, I, I, maybe I know more of the women players, but, uh, you know, we have a lot of ways we could go, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, um, I've always, it, it, it is no, not in a devaluable way, but I feel that, um, you know, we, we, because we, we have such a great, you know, well, we have a base of raw talent in this country, both male and female. Mm. Um, I still believe that, you know, what yourself and Chem and all of the other coaches are doing in the women's game, you know, can really propel the sport forward. Um, mm. Unfortunately, I also have my own personal uh, uh, point of view on the fact that um, as a sporting nation, we have that unfortunate sport called netball which is mm. um you know blurs the vision of the of the british sport in public and you know i can't you know uh, get across to people that um you know netball is a colonialistic sport which is you know no one outside of the, co the commonwealth knows actually exists versus you know the world's second biggest sport in the world so it's a tough it's a tough sell mm. Um, to you know, to 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 people in this country, and that's one of our biggest uh, problems is that we just don't have you know someone selling our sport to where to the actual real level it is. Yes. Yeah. Well, netball is very very well organized. Very well and, organized. Uh, you know, they've got money, and so we could we would do well to take a look at what they're doing, um, and uh, and borrow what we can. And it shouldn't be a thing about tearing down netball. It should just be build up basketball and, uh, you know, get as many people as we can to play basketball because, you know, there's, uh, you know, it'll sell itself. You know, it's a great game. I'm glad, I'm glad you uh, took the uh, took the diplomatic route there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've changed. Cause, I've cause changed. Because I'm, 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 I'm certainly not. <laughs> um, no. Uh, just changing the subject slightly and I'm going to go back uh, all the way uh, to, to we had this brief conversation but um, talk a little bit about you know the coaching fraternity in this country and also more about you know coach education um, you know I'm really interested about you know understanding you know this 
this podcast series has been interesting because we've 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 found out so much about coaches that I even I didn't know, and your background, you know, could have helped so many people, you know, if if we had known. So, do you feel that the fraternity still isn't together enough as as a set of coaches? It's better. It's better. It's improving like this. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things that's come out of this uh, pandemic is, you know, coaches are talking a lot more. Um, Interestingly, um, you know, you mentioned uh, coaches coming, you know, if any reached out to me, but I got recently, you know, early in the pandemic on one of the podcasts, like a coach challenged me and said, well, are you, are you reaching out? Sure. You know, are you reaching out to younger coaches and, you know, where you can? And you've reminded me that I need to do more of that. And mm. uh, but it's 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 better. I think you need things like, uh, um, you know, clinics, you know, the thing, John, you mentioned John Collins. And, you know, it's I can remember going to his one of his uh, what was it? The Coaches Association. Coaches uh, yeah. Yeah. And um but I only remember going to one, you know, and, you know, and it kind of, I don't know whether that stopped or fell apart, but, you know, um, it's, it is improving. I know my, my daughter's getting into coaching a bit and, um, she's, you know, got a, there's a couple of groups that she's involved in where they're, you know, mentoring and, you know, trying to bring people along. And so there's more happening now than there ever was in terms of, you know, coaches interacting, helping each other, uh, and learning and growing. So do you, do you have, um, saying that, uh, have you had many coaches, um, asked to come and see you at practice? God, if I, if I had, I have so quite a few ask to come, make arrangements to come, and then don't come. Wow. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm more than happy. I'll open it up. You know, it's open anytime to come. Uh, anytime. Anytime. Mm. I mean, you know, but I don't know. Is it, are people busy or the, you know, I, I don't know what, what it is. Well, but, I, but they're open anytime. I think that, um, uh, you know, a couple of things from my side that I think firstly, uh, technology is starting to uh, have a slight adverse effect. Of course, you can get almost anything and in, in infinite detail now, some of the stuff that's online. Um, but I think that at the same time, it's starting to make the pure physical contact, the going to sessions, the going to games, um, mm. you're becoming lazy. You know, it's like, uh, I'll give you a classic example. Um, when I speak to a young coach um, and I say, right, uh, you know, I want, you know, 15 clips on this pick and roll defense um, and they'll go to synergy. And I say, no, 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 hold on first, you know, go and watch the game first, you know, do the breakdown of the game, mm. then go to synergy and get the clips so that they're already pre-packaged. Mm. Otherwise you don't understand understand context and I said if you could do you should be going to watch the actual game live because you'll understand even more context you'll understand emotion Mm -hmm. and what the coach is saying and what the players are saying to each other and I think that we're getting slightly coaches slightly the younger generation of coaches again slightly Mm -hmm. lazy uh, in that in that respect because um, I personally would have gone anywhere to watch a coach coach 
um, you mm. know, versus in games or also in, in practice sessions. And I think that we're starting to... <clears throat> I think you're right. I think you're right. And just just seeing, so everybody knows what a, you know, what a, what a hard hedge is or what a, you know, any particular pick and roll defense. But just because you know what it is doesn't mean you can communicate it to your players and actually get them to do it. Yeah. So how and then what's the process, you know, so you're in you're running a in drill in practice or you're scrimmaging and it happens. So do you stop it? You know, do you, do you correct it now? Do you correct it later? Do you correct it with a demonstration? Do you just tell, you know, some players you can just tell, you know, and how do you tell them? How does one coach say it? Um, you know, so it's all, those are things you would only get by actually seeing the practice. I can't, it's hard to put that into a, Video. Absolutely. And coach, the the classic example I use, and I'll take this down to the one of the most simplest actions. Um, I I explain this to a few coaches at uh, most of the time, you know, um, show me how you teach a V cut and, you know, they, they're able to show that the, the, you know, the technique, I'm like, that's great. And then now we start, you know, one on O and then it's two on O with a pass. And then it's, you know, uh, one on one on the wing. And so all of a sudden, you know, the players V and then they're catching the ball and they can't even see the basket because they're, they're out of position and the coach is not correcting them. And I'm mm-hmm. saying, you know, look, you know, we taught technique, but now technique is 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 broken down because that player isn't mm. squared up to the basket, and that's the that that there was coaching one hundred and one that I learned very luckily. You know, at my my earliest stage, like you pro- almost certainly did, um, mm. by going to you know watch people in action and seeing people, you know, correct <clears throat> detail. And like you say, it's very it's 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 not easy to to be able to be done like that. Mm. So. Great. Let's move um, very quickly. Rapid fire. End of game questions. Um, uh, favorite drill that you run? Cutthroat. Four oh. on four. Four on four on four. Coach. Because I can stick in any, you know, any defensive or offensive principle we want to work on. We can put it in that drill and watch for it. So. Awesome. I actually run uh, I run cutthroat now, but in four v four v four, it's actually um, a version of it that Greg Popovich ran runs almost on a daily basis. That's it. Uh, yeah, we do it yeah. all the time. We Good start. Time. Yeah, usually defensive based. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, we, and we we put in things like uh, if we're working on jumping to the ball, we say, all right, so defense has to jump to the ball. You get a point for a stop. Sure. Five points, you win. Offense scores, you're out. But if defense doesn't jump to the ball on every pass, you're out. So yeah. the coaches just watch. And you can do jump to the ball. You can do boxing out. You can do everything. Pretty yeah, much everything. So you can yeah, do start. I do at the, the like <clears throat> pro level. I do stance. Um, the high hands, yeah. active hands, you know. Absolutely. And, uh, you know. I'll some, bump the cart, you know. Yeah, I do. Even I do. at the top pro level, that's yeah. you got to do it. Absolutely. It's a great drill. That's a fantastic. Um, favorite all-time basketball coach? I've, I've, I've got to go with Steve Fisher. <laughs> what a story. What a story. Um, favorite uh, player to coach? Always, it's an unfair question because yeah. you, you got, so you don't even have to answer it if can't, you don't want to. 
Yeah. I can't answer. I coached all three of my daughters. I've got Cat Carr for eight years, Tayani Clark for four. I mean, these are all just, you know, great, great people to coach. Awesome. Uh, and lastly, um, a go-to saying or statement. So if I'm going to have a good game and I'm going to be a good coach and I'm going to coach well in that game, I have to have focused before the game on three words, calm, positive, and constructive. Awesome. And if I haven't, if I haven't set my mind before the game that I'm going to do those things, then I'm a lunatic. And I, I, I go, I just get emotional. I go crazy and the players are upset and I end up having to apologize. <laughs> So like, just like players can have like, even the first game we played this year, I was like, you know, had a lot of stuff going on and I didn't get to my mindset before the game. And I found myself, you know, yelling things during a game that, you know, weren't helpful. And, you know, the, and the thing about the team I have now is they'll tell me, Interesting. you know, they'll tell me, you know, if, if they might yell right back at me, you know, if I'm being unreasonable and then we got to make up, we got to apologize and I got to say, I'll, I'll do better next time, you know? So, but that's written on my book, calm, that's, positive, constructive. And do you, do you say that to the, or uh, to the players or do you think that that just because that's how no, you, this is for me, this is for, for me. Cause awesome. like, you know, my daughter will look at me in a game and she'll go, how was that helpful? <laughs> you know, why did you say that? Are you trying to help me? Are you trying yeah. to make me, are you trying to make me upset? Yeah, I think I think pro pro male players probably say that to, in their own mind. You know, they're looking at me every time. You know, how's that helpful? It's awesome. Your daughter says that. Yeah. So, well, I mean, right. it's and it's so it's what that's how. And you watch the best coaches. So you watch the top NBA coaches. You know, they're not stomping up and down and you know getting in somebody's face. You know, they're 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 going to be constructive and they're going to be positive and they, you know, so that's, that's my kids help me with my my daughter helps me with that. Coach, um, you know, firstly, uh, you know, I really appreciate you, you being on uh, today. It's been enlightening. Um, I know the pandemic has caused all kinds of um, issues and problems. Um, Definitely taking your club away from, you know, last even last season you know mm. continuing the, the success but i'm pretty certain that once we somehow get over this uh this period in in this crazy world i'm sure that mm. success will come back to you and uh i just really appreciate you coming on today no oh, thanks tony i really enjoyed it you know it's got a million stories running around in my head but you know it would take about 10 podcasts to get them all That's out right. <laughs> thank you <Colin. clears throat> Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to another episode of Time Out. You can now find all of our episodes on iTunes and Spotify, so please like, subscribe, and let us know who you'd like to hear from in a future episode.